Welcome to the Inspiring You Show. I'm Henry, and this, my friends, is a vibrational experience, a remembering of the truth of who we are. The content is light and coded to assist you on your journey if you wish to receive for your highest good. Okay, so here at Inspiring You, we get asked a lot about going for your dreams in general in life, also in career, how to handle difficult situations at work, signs of burnout, what to do when stressed, signs of gaslighting and what to do, how to also career transition and tools to support in so much more. Back on September 7th, 2021, I did a recording of a podcast series called Live and Learn with former colleague and friend Mike Hazen. Because these episodes have a ton of information so much insight and helpful tools, and also so inspiring. We will be sharing all eight episodes here on the Inspiring You show. And so in the first episode, it's how we got here. And so Mike and I really kind of take apart how we got to where we are. We are both former reality TV executive producers, and we share how we each broke into the entertainment industry, how we were two kids way back when, And we had a dream that we wanted to work in television and how our roads got us to the place where we manifested and how we then met working on the iconic NBC game show, Weakest Link. So you will hear the introduction to Live and Learn. And then it is an incredible conversation. And I'm just so proud of this series. And I just really want more people to hear it because I feel like there is so much there that could support people and inspire people as well. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and please feel free to share and message us because we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. Welcome to Live and Learn with Henry Ann. Mike. We are former executive producers, colleagues, and we were part of the trailblazing generation that was on the frontier of creating and solidifying reality TV as a genre. That is correct. We met in our 20s and now after many years apart and after both successfully making career change, we're coming back together. We have experienced a lot and we're ready to dish, deconstruct and unpack it all for you guys. We're going behind the scenes and pulling back the curtain to share our stories and what we learned along the way giving you guys a glimpse of the real in reality TV and so much more. Yes, we are, Mike. And today's topic, dreams realized, unrealized, and realized again. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And the live and learn lesson is to remember, you always have a choice. You can choose the same dream or you can choose another dream. doesn't have to be the one. That's right. Sometimes when you're going for a dream that you had since you were a child, it becomes apparent as an adult other choices may be made along the way. Situations arise when the dream becomes realized that when you were in the dreaming phase, especially as a child, you may not have been aware of what else could happen, or in my case, how possible expectations of women, work, and marriage could cause you to reaffirm this dream once more. And sometimes as an adult, you realize a dream you had can can evolve into allowing an unfolding of a new dream. The old dream may go on pause to pursue and explore a new dream, Letting go of the original dream, the OG dream, as we like to say, for a new one takes courage. In last episode, if you remember, we shared how we jumped off a cliff quite literally in Hawaii while filming NBC's Average Joe. We did a proverbial leap of faith, and today we're diving into sharing the personal side of our dreams realized. What we learned from that cliff jumping in Hawaii, that jump in Hawaii was so much more than a cannonball splash in the water. In the moments leading up to the moment of truth, which really was definitely for me, will I or won't I jump? Will I let the fear shut me down or will I acknowledge the fear? What we learned was acknowledging the fear to then face our fear, to be able to take that leap of faith. And it also taught us to shift into our heart in a deeper way. So today we are sharing the personal side of our career dreams realized and how in your personal life, dreams, other choices can materialize. New aspects within the dream can show up and sometimes it strengthens the original dream. Or sometimes there's a fork in the road. You pivot and most 
unexpected ways. But no matter the path you take, allowing yourself to discover, explore, and enjoy that dream realized. It's okay to take another path. It doesn't mean you won't meet up again on the path you once were on. Learn from our stories to have more freedom and joy in your life as your dreams unfold, even when it feels like it is a complicated situation. As Eleanor Roosevelt said, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. I love that quote. Today, we're going to go into the personal side of our career dreams. You may be surprised at what we each choose. Content in this podcast may contain information and discussions of work PTSD, mistreatment, and other traumatic situations. If you need support at any time, please call or text Mental Health America. Call 1-800-273-TALK, that's T-A-L-K, or 8255 to reach a 24-hour crisis center or text MHA to 741-741 at the crisis text line. Okay, Mike. So Yes. What's up? Hit me, Henry. In the last couple <laughs> <laughs> In the last couple episodes, Mikey, we have done a lot of talk, a lot of chatting about how we manifested our career dreams. Now, let's get personal. Let's get into our personal dreams. Is it possible to be successful in both career as well as in personal life? Have you had any experience in any of this? What is the story? <laughs> Honestly, Henry, this is something that I really fought with for a really long time in my career. Um, I, I was convinced early on that you could not have both. I, because the, the models of success in professional life versus the models of success in personal life, I never saw I never saw somebody who, quote, had it all. I would see successful executive producers, um, much older than myself, but they were divorced maybe more than one time. Their family lives were complete disasters. And, um, but they were, you know, driving Porsches and living in huge houses and, uh, and, and going on vacations and just living that, you know, that, baller lifestyle, if you will. Um, On paper, it seemed amazing, right? Yeah. And, and, and then to the other side of it, I would see sort of guys and, and girls who had families, moms and dads, and, and they were never, they were rarely at home. They were rarely paying attention to their families. And, and it was a really hard thing for me because like we said earlier on, or I said earlier on in our, in one of our episodes, I had my life mapped out. Right. I had the idea of I wasn't going to get married until later, later in my adult years, maybe 28, 29. I know that seems still seems like a baby. But, you know, my thought was I wasn't going to maybe meet my wife until 28, 29, get married at 30, have my first kid at 31, 32. Like I had it all mapped out. So that those eight years would have allowed me to really grow my career and, and create and build some wealth so that I could then also have the best of both worlds. Right. But as we know, that's not how life works. And so then, what happened? So, <laughs> i i got I got put in positions where I had to make choices. My priorities shifted. You know, when I met Margaret, uh, I was twenty three years old. So Margaret is Mike's wife. Yes, thank you for clearing that up. Margaret is my wife as of right now, and and so wait, let's give a little backstory just in case somebody hasn't been listening. So yeah. Mike graduated from. University of Arizona. Correct. In 2001. And he came out and he had always had a dream of working in television. He did a lot of faxing of resumes. And <laughs> with his perseverance, he ended up, you know, getting a job um, on NBC's Weakest Link, Doggy Dog, Then Average Joe. And so from 21 on, his career trajectory at that point was really just skyrocketing. And so then, and that kind of fit in your parameters of what you're talking about in terms of like, you know, okay, the next eight years I'm focusing on my career, but yet, as we know, when love knocks on that door, so how old were you when love knocked on that door? Well, love knocked on the door at 23. And I, you know what I said? I said, sorry, not home. No one's home right now. And I shut the door, you know, and, and, and that was, I later learned, you know, I later realized what a giant mistake I made. But at that time, I was devoting all of my time, all of my energy. You know, I look at it as, you know, I'm a pie chart, right? And my pie chart was 100% career. That was it. 
friends were a little tiny piece of that, but not a lot. Because all of my friends were out of college. We're all hustling. We're all trying to make a, lo- a name for ourselves and make a living. So no time for relationships. So my pie chart was 100% work. When, when Margaret comes along, I meet her randomly in Mexico at a, at a bar in Mexico, believe it or not. She's 20. I'm 23. I think it's just a casual thing. I continue about, you know, my, my way and I'm continuing to focus on my career and things shifted, right? So suddenly there was something about her that was pulling me away. It was taking away some of my pie chart and, you know, whereas it was a hundred percent, now it's 95%. And then, and then slowly it became 90%. And what was happening was the guy that I was working with at the time, who was my boss, but also we were friends, but I was giving him, he was getting my hundred percent of my pie chart. And he started to see slowly that his portions were being taken away. He did not like that. And so we're no I longer was, the full devotee to this person. That is correct. So whereas we would be in an office together, you know, all day. And then afterwards we'd go to his house, have some dinner or go somewhere and hang out and talk shop and, you know, develop shows and weekends, come over, hang out, go do fun stuff and, you know, develop shows and all these things. You're at the beck and call a hundred percent. hundred percent. And I had no problem with it at the time until I met Margaret. And I, until I realized that, oh my gosh, this person is a piece of me that I, that is a piece that I really need in my life. And I was struggling with that for a really long time, Henry. I was, in, in fact, I, I, I dated her for a little bit and then I broke up with her because I was feeling the pressure of building my career. And if I couldn't give 100% of myself to the career, I wasn't going to get where I wanted to get. So it was, it was a battle. And um, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, how much- and Also how, too, just- um... I think sometimes the challenge when you're young too, and you're in these situations where you feel like you have to kind of indebt yourself to a hundred percent, like you don't realize that, you know, you don't have to be there 24 seven, that they're not buying your whole life. You don't really understand balance between personal and professional. And in our experience in terms of, you know, television industry at that time too, there may not have been a, like as much clear boundaries, if you will. And then also too, there sometimes is that unwritten expectation that you kind of have to be on call. And when you start saying no, or somebody, something else is more of a priority, it can unknowingly cause ruffled feathers, which then could cause challenges in your career, which then if you're in a gig economy, could actually potentially lead you not to getting the next gig because you're not as on call. However, when the heart is all of a sudden, you know, connecting in that deep way and somebody's knocking at your door and you're feeling that where this might be a priority, you know, what ends up happening for you? Well, you start to look at the examples around you, right? And the person that I was sort of palling around with, he had a girlfriend at the time but he was devoting his life to his career. And his girlfriend also had a career in entertainment and she was devoting her life to the career. So in doing so, they weren't devoting their lives to each other. So there was a lot of, their, their pies were still in the high 90% of, of career. And so that was sort of the expectation that was thrust upon me. It doesn't matter if someone comes in and, and occupies your heart. It doesn't matter. You still need to focus on the career because that's what we all do. And so that expectation was something that, you know, it took me some time to really sort of realize that it's okay to follow your heart and it's okay for your dreams to change. And my dream went from being an executive producer and having a bazillion dollars to having a wife and starting a family and having children and being a great father and being a great husband. And yes, the bazillion dollars would still be nice, of course, but you know, there's a new path to get there. It's not the same path as it was before. And I 
you know, you look at the the millionaires, and in, in fact, recently, not to be too, not to put a timestamp on it, but Bill Gates, you know, the richest one of the richest guys in the world, just recently divorced from his wife, or is splitting up from his wife, and you like you know that they didn't just split up a few weeks ago and just start having problems. Like it's been probably years in the making of having problems because when you are devoted to making money and running businesses, you cannot give your full pie to your spouse or your family. You just can't do it. It's impossible. So we hear this phrase a lot, work-life balance. And what does that really mean? And I think that no one really knows exactly what it means. I think it's, if you were to talk to any couple or any family who has work-life balance, I guarantee you one person in that relationship would say, I wish they would work less. You know, I w- they're going to say it. It's just, it's just the way it is. But yet no one wants to give up the lifestyle. No one wants to give up all the benefits that come from working so hard, all the money and the financial freedom. Because sadly, we live in a world that that's, you know, money makes the world go round. And also, too, I think, you know, um, you know, for you with working in TV, was it, was it also not just a career, but a passion, like a dream going into it? Of course, Henry. I mean, I, I, I love doing the stuff that we were doing. We were getting to, getting to travel and getting to be creative and getting to see our ideas go from our brain of some wild, crazy harebrained idea onto a pitch board and then into, you know, a storyboard and then onto a script and then onto the screen and then watch other people watch it and like tell you how great it was or how funny it was or how it affected them. It's like, there's really a huge high in that. And, you know, it, it really plays with your ego. And so I, I did love that. And I, my sort of, I've always loved to make people laugh and make people smile and, and bring joy to people's lives. And this was a really awesome way for me to be able to do it in a, at a large scale. You know, we're talking about people in my family and my friends circles, which is just, you know, in the dozens or, you know, less than a hundred people but then also on the scale of like millions of people, you know, and going on the message boards and watching people talk about it and, and seeing articles written about it and just feeling like I had a piece of that. I was, I was a piece of making that happen and bringing this joy to people. And so it was addictive, but. And you also too, part of it is when you're, you know, what you're just talking about um, when it goes from, you know, in your brain to all of a sudden, you know, on the board and the next, you know, in production, you really don't know how something's going to land until the audience starts commenting. And then right. when the audience does comment on the boards, you know, now over oh, social media, it's like, oh yeah, they got it. Or yeah, wow, that worked. And I would also say too, yes, Mike, you are funny. <laughs> Thank you. And I would say mm-hmm. that also one of your strengths is that you're great at figuring out things. So in terms of being a producer, oftentimes it's like figuring out the almost like, you know, something that seems so like you, it's so beyond and you're great at puzzles and you can actually think big picture, little picture to then figure out how that puzzle can work. And always, you know, usually in, while you're in production, there's also that time factor. Usually there's hardly any time to do it. And you're just very quick on your feet too. So I think when you're using your brain like that with like most of your gifts and talents, it becomes, you, it just, it feels good to be able to use your abilities. It does. And thank you for saying those nice things. And, and I think that, you know, not to, to, to pass the credit, but, you know, we all in this, in this industry, if you're a good producer and you, that's the, we all share those traits, right? Yourself included, Henry. I think it's just something that in order to survive in this business, specifically the reality business, you, you need to be able to have those attributes. And if you don't, you're going to sink real quick. So, um, yeah, you know, and, and I, I think I've, I might've quoted this before, but the, the, the phrase that we always heard or that I always sort of played in my head was today's miracles are tomorrow's expectations. And it became this thing where nothing is impossible. And in fact, you sort of take it as this challenge that you can accomplish it and you can make it happen. And, um, but, but going back to the, you know, balancing that personal life with that professional life, I, I, I hadn't seen anybody really do that. And that was something that I continued to have these doubts in my own world of like, do I have to be a jerk to succeed in entertainment? Cause I see lots of successful 
jerks, lots of them. Like the 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 most successful of the bunch are all really bad and mean and rude people who don't treat others kindly. So I started to question myself, do I need to be that way? Do I do I need to start treating others that way so that I can get what I want? Maybe I'm a pushover. And um, because because I do treat people kindly. And so that was messing with me too. And, you know, we, we got to, we, ultimately I realized I don't ever want to be that. Like that was something that I, I decided I just couldn't. Is it sort with. of like a moral dilemma? Like at what point in the crossroad were you, and how old were you at this point when you kind of were deciding like what kind of, cause it is like, what kind of person do I want to be? Well, it, it, it probably was at, you know that we talked about that five-year run where we started off and we had this streak of these you know hit shows on nbc towards the end of that run is really when i started to go you like 25 26 yeah about 25 i i you know 20 almost 26 i said to myself i don't think i can be that you know i started to see the other executive producers around us and their personality started to shift too into being these sort of you know i use this term not in the historical sense, but a slave driver almost. And, you know, just, just not caring about the well-being or welfare of the others, only caring about the result. And I never, I could never do that. And when someone tried to do that to me, I would take it very personally. But um, I just, ultimately, Henry, I, I got, I just, I, I made the decision and I just said, I'm choosing love over career. And I decided there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way for me to spend my days and my energy and my efforts that I can still enjoy my time with my wife and grow that relationship and build a family and, and find ultimate happiness. And, um, and I think that, you know, look, I'll be the first to admit, I haven't achieved the financial goals in my career that I've wanted to, but I'm on my way. But what I do know is that the financial goals are much easier to achieve than those personal goals, those self-happiness, those, you know, self-respect. And then of course, you know, if your goals are personally family and raising, you know, having a, a wife and having kids or husband, whatever it is, those things are the, I think are the hardest to achieve. And I feel lucky that I was able to sort of figure that out early on and I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. And so we were on average Joe Hawaii and during that time, that's, you know, tell me about that time. That's kind of when you realized a few things. Well, I think we, did we talk about this already? A little bit, but let's talk about it in this context. Okay. So this context, um, I'd, I'd actually, if you're okay, I'd like to talk, were, were you on average, you weren't on average Joe Four. You didn't go to Tahiti. You saved no. coast, didn't you? I, 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 no, I was on big, I was think I was on Biggest Loser at that time. Okay, so fast forward um, about a year, maybe a year and a half, to where uh, Average Joe was in its fourth cycle. And at this point, uh, I had proposed to my girlfriend at the time, Margaret, who is now my wife. And wait, that's where we need to tell, I think, explain to people if you haven't listened to before. So, Average Joe Hawaii, Average Joe 2, Mike and Margaret had broken up. And yes. While we were on the plane ride there and back, Mike <laughs> had been weighing what was happening. <laughs> and on the plane ride back, I was sitting next to Mike and I saw the decision clearly made coming from his heart that he was going to get back to LA and do everything he possibly could to make things right with Margaret. Cause he realized he truly was in love with her and wanted to be with her and wanted to make up for any kind of confusion that could have possibly happened before because he was trying to figure out things as like a young buck that he was at that time. And yeah, so then I, Margaret and Mike dated. And then now fast forward to from average Joe to Hawaii yep. to now average Joe four Tahiti, Mike and Margaret got married. And so well, now- we got we got engaged. Oh, you got engaged. Okay, sorry. We were you got engaged, engaged through that right. process. And um, did you get yeah. engaged in Tahiti? No, no, no. We were engaged before Tahiti, but the guy that I was working with, and if anybody wants to be a super cyber stalker, they'll figure this out themselves. I'm not going to say it here, but the guy that, and you might not, you might not have known this, Henry. The guy that I was working for at the time 
who I was, we were buddies, right? I remember he wanted me to give a hundred percent of myself to, to his time, right? And to, to the work. How old, well, are, how old was he compared to you at that time? He was 10 years older than me. So he was 20, he was 35, which so he by really the way, under his wing, kind of like mentor mentee in some way. Absolutely. We, we had a, a very great relationship as far a working relationship. I mean, I, I have to say like we were partners, like we developed shows together. We sold shows together. Um, it was really, it was really awesome and, and fruitful. And he definitely took care of me, you know, in a, in a looked out for me in a financial way to make sure I was being taken care of the right way. And I definitely, um, you know, am grateful for that. But as soon as I, I, soon as I, uh, expressed that I had fallen in love and that my time was starting to, you know, be taken was, was my time was starting to be given elsewhere, things shifted. And when we went to Tahiti, when, when the show was going to go to Tahiti, he said to me he wanted to do something nice for us. So he offered to give us some money and allow us to stay in Tahiti after the show wrapped for an additional week as sort of an engagement gift. And I thought this was fantastic. So you really felt said, supported as well. I, I felt supported. So what I didn't know was that that was going to be held over my head. And Margaret wow. was Margaret was allowed to fly out uh, early, so she was staying in the hotel with me while we were working. I made such an effort. I was so self-conscious about not paying attention to her. I didn't want to pay attention to her because I wanted to focus on the work. I didn't want her to be distraction. I didn't want anyone to think that I was distracted by her. So I was honestly, I ignored her. You asked her to this day is like I was almost a jerk because I ignored her because I was so focused on the job. And, um, but I, so I, I made sure that I was, I was there in, in present for the work. And, and after the show was wrapped, I was, that was my, that was our time, right? That was our time to hang out and spend some time and, you know, on the any, Island. Uh, was there any fear coming up in terms of like, if you weren't focused on your job, what could they possibly say? Or absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Henry, that's where it was all coming from. I was fear. I was, I was scared. I was terrified. I, I felt like if I took one moment that didn't focus on the show. We're in the middle of production here. You know what I mean? Like for the last three seasons of this show, I was a pretty integral part of creating these storylines and producing these, these shows and making sure that I was involved. And so I felt, and I, and I knew what it took to do those. It, you had to be engaged. You, you know, you couldn't take a moment off. So I was very much trying to continue that. It's that so kind of balance where you don't want to disappoint, but then also in the fear that there could be some sort of like, not punishment per se, but can be in some ways, if you will. It's this. It's almost like a pressure, like a peer pressure in a way, right? And by the way, Margaret couldn't have been more understanding, you know. And I expressed this to her in the moment. I said, "Babe, you know, we're I'm here, you're here, but I'm working. I am twenty four seven on this thing. And you know, is when we can find moments, you will find those moments. But for the most part, you're on your own while you're here." And she was fully fully supportive of that. Well, Tahiti does knew, help, by the way. <laughs> right, right. The black sand beach and the pool and the beautiful resort. I mean, yes. So um, after that, after the show wrapped, I stayed for an additional week, and we had a, we had a decent, we had a great. I thought we had a great time until she got sun poisoning, and we and we were stuck in the room for three days because she was had her whole face like flamed up like Donald Duck. Oh my God, it was so sad. Um, like go to the French pharmacy and like get medication for her and. It was a mess, but um, she ended up being okay. But when we came back to the mainland and I went back into the office and I talked to my boss, he came down on me and he, all those fears that I was concerned about, he made sure that I knew that I had disappointed him and I'd let him down, even though I was so like, so on top of it, making sure that I didn't, I didn't do that. And so he gave me a pretty big mind F right there of what like, did he, say? he just said, man, he's like, man, you really checked out, you know, with, you know, as soon as Margaret got there, you just checked out. And I really wish you would have been more present, like this other producer who he named by name, who, you know, was a whole nother political story, but he just made me feel like I, you know, let him down. And as a young professional, to let down the person who you looked up to, it's crushing. And it really did a number on me mentally. And that was the beginning of a series of events 
that in a series of shows where I felt like I had to put this guy first and I was putting Margaret and my personal feelings and my personal needs second. And it's something that screwed me up for a long time, Henry. It actually led me and it put me into a very big depression that I haven't ever talked about. And, um, and it's a reason why I ended up taking a break and leaving the business and moving to Texas and starting my own business for a couple of years. Okay. So let's talk about that experience. So then you have that experience with this person and also just, um, sometimes in the industry too, it can feel like, um, you're replaceable. So I don't know if at that time when this, um, mentor at that time, was saying this other person did really well, if there's any kind of fear that you're, you're just so replaceable. Um, that sometimes can happen in terms of the industry, kind of like, is it like gaslighting or something? Is that, I don't, that's per se, but. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's just a, it's, it's, a, it's a mind F is what it is. You know, it just, it makes you feel like, am I taking crazy pills? You know, am I the one who's, who really, am I the one at fault here? And you start to question everything about you. All these, you know, these four and a half, five years of me being this, you know, I, I don't want to, I'll use air quotes when I say success, but someone who was known for coming up with great ideas and being able to execute them and being praised and being told how great they are and blah, blah, blah. Like my ego was, you know, my, I shouldn't say my I ego, myself. Pat, I would say showing up. I mean, your ability to show up and, uh, product like problem solve and get the job done was pretty high level mike and i'm not saying that to toot your horn i'm just giving (laughs) the facts because i worked with you many years yeah yeah but but it was but it was you know the idea of like being told that i was doing so great for so long and really not just because i was like i felt like i really was like i was devoted right like i was really giving it my all and seeing the results. So when someone told me that I wasn't doing that, when I felt like I really was, it was a blow to my ego and, and my self-confidence was just crushed. And I just, I, like I said, I went into this depression of questioning my creativity, questioning my, my resourcefulness, questioning my problem solving, questioning my humor, questioning everything. Like, am I even in the right business? Should I even, why, what am I even doing here? And to allow one person- What's that? Questioning your dream. That's right. Questioning my dream, Henry. So like, you know, going back, I was allowing one person to affect me in this way. And, you know, like, I wish, I just wish I would have had the foresight or the wherewithal at that time to, to, to have that self-confidence to just say like, this is just one person. This is, this is not the whole industry. This is not everybody. This is not the way it is. But, you know, you know, I, I also do believe everything happens for a reason. And, you know, all of those things happened and have led me to where I am today. And I'm, I couldn't be more grateful. So now, okay, so this experience happened and then you went on to get married. Yep. And so then what happened during that time? Because you um, were in the industry. Well, I'll tell you one thing that happened when on my wedding is I invited this guy to my wedding and he was at my wedding. And one of my biggest regrets at my wedding is I still, he had that power over me and I would, I spent several minutes like with him trying to make sure that he was having a good time at my own wedding. I was taking time away from my wife, my new bride, my family members, my true friends, I was making sure that he was having a good time. And I, I can't even believe like I, I it's the, my, it's my biggest regret of, of my wedding is that I gave that, that person, my, my valuable time. And like giving I had hurt over or something. Yeah. He had some power over me. He did. And, um, and I actually heard this, this is third second hand so i don't know if it's true or not but but it's something that i've never forgotten and margaret has never forgotten but apparently at the wedding at the table he said to the people around him i give the marriage 6 months at our wedding he said that and um i mean i couldn't once i heard once i heard that it took me it was a little while before i heard that i stopped that was when we sort of 
I'll use the phrase break up. I stopped talking to him at that moment. It was, it was years before I ever saw him or talked to him ever again, but Margaret and I just celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary and uh, we have two beautiful kids and, you know, it's just, wow, is really what I, what all I can say. And it's such a growing experience. And um, Mike, I, I hope I, say, I'm, you know, just sorry for having you gone through that. I just want to recognize that. And then, you. and yes, you and Margaret are just amazing. And I just feel so blessed to uh, just be in your lives and just to have witnessed the full growth of it because it's just been just an honor and it's beautiful. And now well, thank you. you have your two children, it's just amazing. I'll also say too, so that moment then when you had that processing moment of like, okay, I'm done. What was the next step in terms of like you deciding the path for yourself? And did you still continue on with the same dream or was there a new dream for you and Margaret? The, the, the dream, well, listen, there was sort of two dreams, right? The dream was create a life for Margaret and I that was fulfilling and satisfying where we could be together and we could embrace being together. So we started our own business and we were partners and we decided that we're going to do everything together instead of have me having to be apart from her and separate and, 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 you know, answer to somebody else, we were going to be answering to each other and being together. And so we did that and we built this, um, you this, decided this, to move too, right? From California to Texas. We decided to move from California, Texas. We decided to build a house in, in San Antonio, Texas, brand new construction from the ground up so we could pick everything. And this is probably a metaphor for sort of everything we were dealing with. We were going through some family drama too, where, you know, I'm sure people out there can relate when, when you go from being a child to a teenager, to a young adult, you know, your parents treat you a certain way. And then when another human comes in your life and you become a team with that person, your parents don't know how to act. They don't know what to do. You're still their baby. You're still their kid. And so there was a power struggle. And Margaret and I were dealing with the power struggle on a personal level from our families and then also a professional side. So we ran. How and old were you guys at this time? 25. I was 26 and she was 23. And we just ran. We ran west. We ran east. We ran to San Antonio, Texas. Like I said, we we decided we're, everything we did was starting from from ground zero, right? It wasn't quite literally it, building a house. Yeah, we we built we built we built the foundation. We you know we did all that stuff, and and it, we went there knowing nobody. So everybody we met knew us as Mike and Margaret. Nobody knew us as Mike from Agora Hills, and no one knew us as Mar you know Margaret in from from Vista, California, born in Ireland. Like no one knew us well, as Mike, the TV producer working yeah. at this production right. company. There was uh, there was no yeah there it was everything was us together as a team, and it was fantastic. It was like starting over. It was a new identity, and it was a, it was a chance to start fresh and a clean slate. And so that's what we that needed at that time. What's that? That was the new dream then. That was the new dream was to build something together and not have anybody get in our way. And, um, you know, we did that and it was a, it was, it was a struggle, but it was fun. You know, we were in it together and all these pitfalls of starting a new business and being in a new city and making new friends. And we were together and, and there was nobody that could, um, get in our way and stop us from achieving what we wanted to achieve and uh you know call it you know naive i don't know what but i but don't know that we, it seems like it really solidified your foundation of your marriage in a lot of ways in terms of that growth not only for the friendship but the maturity of your marriage too well something that i learned you know going going along is when when two people get together especially at a young age like we did you have two choices you grow up together or you grow up apart, right? You go your separate ways. And, um, and we, we grew together and we grew up together. We were kids when we met. So, so we sort of matured all together and we may, had that commitment to do it together. And we still, to this day, like we argue and we, and, but we get through it because we, our goal is still the same. So, um, so then I how think long that were you in Texas and then what happened? You eventually moved back. We eventually moved back. We were in Texas for one year. We celebrated our one year anniversary in Texas. 
we celebrated our two year anniversary back home in LA. And, um, it was a world, it was a whirlwind, but we learned so much in that one year. And the reason was because life isn't all dreams and rainbows and butterflies. And the fact is money, like I said before, money makes the world go round. And so we found ourselves in Texas starting this business, having some success, but knowing that the next step was going to be another huge sort of commitment financially that we just didn't have. And so we were both taking other jobs, odd jobs to to fund our lives and pay for our house and do all these things. So um, I was getting calls to come back to LA and do television shows and I would make more money doing that in one week than I would in the, in the, you know, in a month working in Texas. And so I, I ended up commuting back and forth basically to San Antonio. Margaret ended up being having to be by herself and I had to be in LA by myself. So we were like, what are we doing? So I remember I came back from one of the shows and I just said, you know, we both kind of looked at each other. We're like, we're going back, aren't we? And we went back and we went back and moved back into our townhouse. And, um, and, and that's we where I got back. Gave yourself permission to come back to the dream, but this time it's different in terms of dream unrealized, dream realized with a different profound maturity of together. Right. Yeah. I, I realized, I, I learned that I was you know, that I was good enough. I was, you know, creative enough to, to contribute and not all the producers and not all the people in Hollywood or the TV business were like the person I was working for before. Not everybody's looking to tear you down. Certainly there's plenty of those, but um, I was able to sort of get that confidence back. And because I had built something in Texas too, I was able to get my mojo back, so to speak. I, I built something from literally from nothing, not just a house, but a business. And it gave me that confidence to come back and go, I got this. And, um, but it's not just me who's got this, it's me and my wife who've, who've got this. And, uh, it was, it was really, I think going to Texas was a really important piece for us to grow. Thank you for sharing that. It just is really, I mean, it takes bravery each step of the way, um, and doing it then in a new marriage and finding your footing quite literally in a new state while building a home and a business is quite extraordinary. Thank you. It's, um, it doesn't feel like it was, you know, talking about it and sharing it with you, Henry, is you're going back through it is, you know, I didn't think this whole episode was going to be, or a lot of the episode was going to be about this, but, um, you know, it turned into it and, and it felt, it feels nice to share some of that. And I, I, you know, Margaret and I talk about all the time, how invaluable that time being in Texas was. And, um, and it's, it's trained me and it helped me. I think I learned more in that one year than I have in a lot of years combined. And I'm applying those lessons like, still to this day in, in the new career of what I'm doing. And um, it's, been, it's been great. And I think that's the extraordinary part is that the life skills that you learned was actually probably more for future than you realized. We had the same similar timeline, somewhere between working on NBC's Weakest Slink and before NBC's Average Joe, I became engaged. I was in my late 20s, and it was really exciting to start going into that like next phase of life, both personally, professionally, and it felt like everything was coming together. And at that time, I finally felt like I understood where my career was going. I don't know if you had this, Mike, but no, you didn't really have that moment. My first early 20s, I just felt confused. It can be confusing sometimes coming out of college in your early 20s. Mm -hmm. And I just moved from Massachusetts to California, and it just was different living on the West Coast versus East Coast. And yeah, I just was trying to figure out also how the industry worked, this big industry. And so- a lot had changed for me in my 20s. And after years of not knowing really where I belonged in the industry, I finally found like I found that I had found my place and I could finally see the ladder. And I felt at home in my career and it was amazing. And I felt finally like I really belonged after feeling confused for so long. Like you have a dream, you're searching for it, but you don't really know when it's gonna come into fruition or into like that realized space. And I finally felt like all of a sudden I was in it and I could feel it. And then I got engaged and it was incredible. And my fiance's family was from Los Angeles and it just was really nice to have like that family life again 
because I miss that about living so far from home. And I loved his whole family. They just were, they just were like my own and it was incredible. And then things took a turn. I was offered Average Joe and it would be my first away from home TV experience. And I would be working on set for over a month in Palm Springs. My fiance seemed completely okay with it. And after being in the field from Palm Springs, you were there 31 days straight. We went back to LA <laughs> to continue working on the show. So I was home for months at a time. And I had like that normal kind of Monday through Friday schedule. And it was great. I was having dinner with my fiance. We were looking for places for our venue, for our wedding. Things just seemed to be falling into place. Then the then, opportunity- what, say, then, then what happened, Henry? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> a twist, a shocking twist. Um, and then the opportunity for Average Joe Hawaii came. Aloha. I and- mean, Henry, to just put this in context for just a second, like we we just spent 31 days on location in Palm Springs, which when we first got there, Palm, it was amazing. Palm Springs, incredible. Holy moly, we're there, we're on set. And then- by the end of it, we're like, oh, my God, I just want to get home, get home, get home. And then it, we start to hear rumblings of a second season of Average Joe. The show is, is already a hit. It hasn't been aired, and, and the executives are thrilled with it. All the work that we did, trailblazing, creating this new show. And, and, and then they say, not only do we want you to do a second season before the first one airs, we want it to be in Hawaii. Are you guys willing to go live in Hawaii for two months and make the show? Yes. No. I live in a resort right on the beach, and I'll have right. front rooms, and it's going to be paid for, and you're going to get per diem. And right. Paid. Right. You are you willing to do this? And willing? by the way, and we're in our early mid twenties. Like, come on. Yeah. So. So yeah. Um. I was like thrilled uh, that we'd be working on location for eight weeks on the Big Island, and the Big Island is actually my favorite island. And I just was so excited because, yeah, how do you pass up that opportunity, right, Mike, to be on a resort in Hawaii? And so my fiance seemed also like really excited and happy. And he immediately booked his ticket for when he could come out and visit. Because, I mean, hello, free place to stay at a resort. Um, No one wants to pass up that opportunity. And so, yeah, everything, you know, before I left, we had a venue to get married at. We had chosen the date. Amazing. So uh, working in Hawaii ended up being kind of intense at times. I don't know if you remember, there was a point where the local crew went on strike. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember. <laughs> Things that I had never faced in my professional career were happening. So my focus was definitely a little bit more on work at that time, because also I had the responsibility of making sure that the tapes were getting back from Hawaii to California. And there were some situations where sometimes things were disappearing. Do you remember that? I do remember. Yes. So that was a little, um, yeah, that was stressful for me. And so it was a bit more all consuming job that required a lot more attention focus than it had in the past. And I will admit, I probably didn't call home as often as I had in the past. And so when my fiance came to visit, even though he was excited to be there, I could just feel like something's going on here. And I took some days off to enjoy Hawaii with him. And so I surprised him with sunset massages right on the beach at Fairmont Orchid. Do you remember Fairmont Orchid? Yeah. 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 Jeez. Like five star, five star resort. Right. I mean, Unbelievable. I, spend, I was in my twenties. I spent like over $500 on these amazing massages on the beach, sun setting, just spectacular. And then I treated him to this incredibly lavish dinner at one of their restaurants. Just amazing. And then during the drinks, right before our dinner came out, he said to me, if you ever take another job like this, we're done. In Hello. Fact, in fact, you just need to get out of TV and get a normal job. Maybe a receptionist at like a dentist office. O M G. I Henry, was- I Henry, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize this part of the story. I I, I knew that there was like a, a ultimatum discussion, but I didn't realize like like the the profession that he chose for you like could it be more sexist? Like could it be more chauvinistic? Like you need to just make sure that you pop out some kids and stay in the kitchen with no shoes on. Like what a receptionist 
Yeah. I, I mean, I was uh, stunned into silence. Yeah. And um, that was it. No conversation. There was no discussion. It was just no compromises. And it really, like, I was devastated. It just felt devastating. And I did, I, I couldn't even process it. I didn't even have anything to say. And so I, I just kind of. I mean, did you, did, did you think in the moment, like, we're done? Or did you think of, like, I, I, I'm just trying to, you was, know. I mean, Mike, I was shocked. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it's like. This is the first time he had indicated at all that he had a problem with your career. Yes. Before it seemed like he was completely supportive of it, everything. And also he knew my story that, you know, since I was five, I dreamed of working in television, that I moved from Massachusetts to California, specifically to work in television. And I mean, I will say in that moment, what I do remember is the engagement ring felt a lot tighter like all of a sudden <laughs> it felt like a handcuff i mean i was like yeah. what's happening here and i i definitely felt like there was suffocation energy like i can't mm. breathe i don't really know and i will say like it just my my whole world felt like it bottomed out in that moment i mean i tried to go on like nothing happened he ended up leaving and um hawaii going back home i kind of tried to pretend everything was okay it wasn't though and I had been told that I could have it all, Car um, career, career, marriage, family. And at that time, I don't know, I was then like at that crossroad between, you know, my childhood dream of working in television or get married. And, and then like the whole receptionist thing, just kind of, <laughs> I was kind of like, okay. And, and I have been a receptionist in my life, you know? So I, I get it. Like I worked my way up in TV. My first job was a receptionist. Yet it's a little different once you get into your career up the ladder. And so, you know, and again, the reason I moved 3000 miles away from my family from Massachusetts to live in California, where I didn't have family to support me was this opportunity to live my dream career. And now I was being told I couldn't have it all or that I had to pick. Well, and what I, what, you know, to just jump in here, Henry, you, First of all, I remember having a conversation with you at the resort when when he left and you were very just to be honest, I didn't you didn't seem that confused to me if I try to go back the right the right time. I it, to me you you made a decision very quickly that or at least your instinct very quickly was this is not right. This does not feel right. This person cannot tell me what that I can't have my dream anymore. And you, whether or not you made the decision right then, I don't know when you actually, quote, broke it off. <clears throat> but I feel like I knew before we left Hawaii that you were breaking it off. Like you had figured out, like, like if you're going to change your dreams, and this is something that I think goes back to the bigger picture that we're talking about, Henry, you brought this up. But if we're going to go back to it, it's okay to shift dreams, right? But it's not okay for somebody else to tell you to shift dreams. You shift dreams because you want to shift dreams or you feel like you need to shift dreams because of your own personal happiness. But, it's, but you can't allow someone else to tell you. It's not their job to tell you. It's not their business. It's none of their business. And I think you knew that and you took that so you, it's like you already, it was like you were programmed already to know that, which is incredible to have that sort of vision and that foresight at that time to go like, no, bro. Like this is your this is your fiance, but like most people probably would have been like, okay, yeah, okay, well, I'm not. Well, he doesn't. He's not gonna love me if I don't change my career, and I want him to love me. But you know, kudos to you for. for I really thought that in that moment where I was like, wait a minute, there was no discussion, and I thought, wait, in marriage, in partnership, isn't it about? talking and having a discussion and possibly then you know compromising and yet i still felt really confused i will say though um you know we had that clarification conversation on the plane ride back from hawaii to la where i in my heart the decision was you know i'm going to choose in terms of my own you know dream happiness and I understood the path. I will say that it was still difficult though, because I still loved him yet on that plane for you, you know, you were choosing, I'm going to tell Margaret how I feel in terms of love. So it was such an interesting, you know, point in both of our lives. And 
But with that, though, my young self really was like devastated, though. I felt like, you know, working in television was a calling and a purpose. It wasn't just a job to me. And, you know, how do I, if I choose marriage, then my dream of working in TV is gone. And also like that belonging, like I finally felt like I belonged and I had been searching for it for so long. And I loved where I was in my career. It felt good to be using, you know, my abilities. So besides- You were valued, you, you were feeling, you were valued. And all of us were, we talked, you know, my, myself included, we were all being valued for what, for who we were and what we brought to the table. And sometimes, and oftentimes in relationships, certainly toxic relationships, you're not valued. You're the opposite. You're, you're, you're undervalued or not appreciated at all. So you're going to go where you feel wanted and where you feel valued. That's just natural, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, like you said, we were really at that point valued. And I will say, you know, my friendship with you, because we did spend so much time together on those shows and it just, our friendship helped me in terms of, you know, you often gave, um, you know, coming from like the male perspective in terms of, you know, wisdom and it just supported me. And I will also say too, somebody that actually factored in was Susan Dale Ross. Um, I don't know if you remember her. Yeah. SDR. Yeah. She was a senior VP in production at NBC and she was on location at the time. And the day after my fiance left Hawaii, Susan approached me and she, um, it was on one of our, <laughs> it was on one of the big, um, oh my God, the big reveal. Oh, elimination. She, yeah. The elimination day. It was on one of the big elimination days. So like the jib, all that big setup was going on. And, you know, it was like that big day. She approached me. She could tell something was going on and she took me aside. She took me outside the control room and said, are you okay? And I was like, I didn't want to tell her because, you know, this is someone who's, you know, pretty big at NBC in terms of an executive. You don't want your personal coming into your professional, but she kept asking me like, what's going on? And so I shared with her what happened. And I'm just so grateful I did because she took the time to kind of mentor me and guide me through like a really difficult moment. And then I also talked to my mom and I don't know, I just, I didn't realize like my mom's generation was in some ways, one of the first to have like, I don't know. I think they said like there's 50% in the workforce. And so my mom talked about how, you know, a lot of women had jobs yet not careers in her generation. So it was different in my generation. She said, you know, she talked to me a lot about how in my generation, we were taking the baton, you know, from the previous generations to seek out more careers and paving the way for more possibilities and opportunities. And I realized like, oh, this is also part of the advancement for women behind me. And I wanted to pave the way, you know, for myself as well as for the next generation to make it easier on them. I didn't want to have to choose between myself, what I wanted in my heart and how someone else wanted, you know, wanted me to live per se. Yet I did understand like my fiance had needs and wants of how he saw his life unfold and like really what he's entitled to that. Right. And when I got home, I don't know, it was like the most mature, like breakup I've ever had in my life. Um, I, I decided to break it off for a lot of reasons. And we just ended up Mike having like one of the most beautiful breakups because we genuinely loved each other. Like I still love him. I wish him the best. And we just realized we just wanted different lifestyles. You know, we wanted at that time, different things and it was okay. And it was okay to love each other, let each other let go. And he wanted more of like, he had said, he's like, I want to live like my parents. I, my, my mom had a part-time job. She was always home for dinner with my dad and she didn't work weekends. And I want that lifestyle. And for me coming out from Massachusetts to California and working in a brand new genre in television, a trailblazing, you know, genre that we're, you know, helping to co-create, like, I just didn't have an interest in living my parents' life, even though I love them right. or somebody else's parents' life. Like I wanted to co-create something, you know, that we wanted to do kind of in some ways, like what you and Margaret did, you both wanted to co-create your life together in the way that you both wanted to as a couple and not how possibly your parents did. Does that make sense? It 
Uh, it makes a hundred percent sense. And, and what I, like what I had said before is, you know, you guys were young too, but had you guys gotten married, you guys would have grown up apart as opposed to growing up together. And there was nothing wrong with what he wanted to do and what the life that he wanted to live. That's, that's his choice. Of course it is, but it wasn't okay for him to assume or try to co coerce you into living his life. You, you needed to find someone who understood your desires and wants and, and not only um, encouraged you, but embraced, embraced them and encouraged you to, to live that and fulfill that because that's, that's ultimately what a partner should do. A partner should be your biggest cheerleader. No matter what it is that you're doing, they should be cheering you on to help you become successful in whatever it is and vice versa. And you obviously, he, he wasn't that for you and you recognize that. And that's okay. That was okay. It was the biggest blessing that probably that could have ever happened because I don't know where he, where he is now, but I'm sure he's, ha hopefully he's happy doing, you know, living a life like his parents, or maybe he changed his ideas and maybe he's not doing that, but he had another idea of what he wanted to do, but Absolutely. it wasn't meant to be. And I, I, for me, I just learned so much personally. Like I realize you can love someone yet. It may not mean that you actually married a person. Mm -hmm. And I also learned that you can have like a man for a moment, not a man for a lifetime, and that it's okay to be engaged and realize that being engaged was so different than being boyfriend and girlfriend. And it's like, it's okay to kind of figure out you have different visions. And it was really better that we discovered it before. And so he really did do us a big favor by expressing himself and what he wanted. And it was difficult because the love was there, yet it's just how we wanted to live just wasn't matching up. And it was yeah, okay yeah. then for me to really choose like my dream, like kind of re-realize my dream in my heart of, you know, why I moved out from Cal from Massachusetts to California in the first place. And yeah, I, I feel nothing but happiness and joy that I had that experience. What about you in terms of any other lessons that you learned? Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, the lessons are abundant. I mean, it was, I, I, I went through so much during that time. It's crazy. I feel like I went through more in that, in those first five years of my career than I did the next, you know, 15 years of my career, 10 years of my career. But, um, it shaped me, you know, it just, it just shaped me to realize that, whatever your dreams are, you, it's okay. It's okay. Like there's no wrong answer to what your dreams are, but what the only wrong answer is really giving up on it and quitting on it. And I realize that my biggest dream of all is to be a great father and a great husband. And yeah, let's make a million dollars on the side, but like, <laughs> you know, but, but, but that's, but those are my dreams and they're not what my dreams started off as when I was a, you know, a young punk graduating University of Arizona. That my my maybe my dreams ten years, you know, into the future were this, but you have to just allow you have to understand that life is a constant it's a moving target, right? Happiness is a is is a moving target. And the the more you try to fight it, I think the more difficult it becomes. And I'm trying every day to to really understand that because it is a, it is a constant struggle and a battle to really find that true happiness. We we know sort of what we think it is, but just when you think you know, it changes and um, you know your priorities shift. And I, yeah, which goes back to what we started out with: dreams realized, unrealized, and realized again that priorities can shift. Yeah. So dreams. Don't get fixated on one dream and resistance to living a new phase of the dream. You can be flexible, check in with your dream, let yourself pivot, let yourself take that leap of faith, much like we jumped off that cliff in Hawaii, step into the unknown to let your dream soar in the abundance and treasures on earth when it can truly be life-changing. And in the end, it's you know worth the risk of the jump because things just happen in ways you can't even like possibly understand if you never step off the cliff to make that jump. Yeah. It's well, well, well said, Henry. Well said. What, uh, let's, let's sort of wrap this up with some gratitude. What are you grateful for, you know, in, after going through all that, what, what, what can you sort of bring to the table here in, in terms of gratefulness? I'm, 
I'm really grateful that, you know, that I had that dream at such a young age as a kid. And that as an adult, I learned that I need to check back in with that dream to see if it was still in my heart. And I made a choice out of love, not only love for myself, but love for my fiance. And it was really scary. It was scary to, um, I don't know, it was scary to break up and, you know, not only lose him per se, but also a family in California. Um, Cause once again, I was, you know, I was okay. Now I'm, you know, finding my apartment again. I don't have family in LA, but everything turned out really well. And it just ended up being really incredible for me in a lot of ways. And I'm just so grateful that I just took that chance and I made the best decision at that time for myself out of love. And it ended up being for me and him, because I don't know, I think that it would have been really difficult um, moving forward in a marriage where it just possibly didn't start off in uh, full communication, if you will. What about you, Mike? What's your, what are you grateful for? I'm, I'm grateful that I, 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 I sort of let go of my initial dream and, um, and allowed myself to follow a new path of love. And uh, I just, I don't, I don't think it, I don't think I, I don't think I really give enough, um, gosh, this is all going to be chopped up here, but <laughs> I, I don't think I give enough credit to allowing myself to just sort of veer from, from that initial path that I was so focused on from, from an early career standpoint. And I'm just grateful that I, that I was able to like get out of my own way and just go for it. And, uh, that, that's, that's my biggest thing, I think. You know, it's interesting and, and we'll wrap it up, but as you're saying that, I was thinking, wow, you really chose love and I chose love too. Cause I chose self-love and it really yeah. comes back to love in terms yeah. of lesson, really choosing love again and again. So that's really incredible. So with that, I say, we wrap it up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Join us next week when we uncover more of The Real in Reality TV. Please connect and follow us on social media, and please share our podcast. And if you guys have any questions about anything we've talked about in today's episode or any others before, reach out to us on social, direct, direct message, whatever you want. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Live and Learn Show, and we will respond to every message. So feel free to reach out. Ask any curious question you might have almost and we'll answer almost anyone and share any of your stories too we want to hear your stories and yes do you have a personal social i do have a, oh my god henry thank you for asking i oh, do have okay. a personal instagram and facebook it's at mike hazen dot realtor mike h-a-z-a-n dot realtor and how about you henry thanks mike for asking mine <laughs> is at instagram and facebook is the same it's at inspiring at inspiringyou.co. And this podcast is for educational and self-improvement purposes. Please consult with your health practitioner if you have a medical condition. Thank you guys. Thank you, Henry, for listening. Thanks for letting me blab on for a little bit. And uh, <laughs> thank you, everyone. Look forward to doing it again. Me too. You got to live.